Hello everyone, you are listening to Black Adoptees Identities. I am your host, Christelle Pellicure, and I am a coach and a multidisciplinary creative. Please join me to explore what identity means for adult adoptees and how they form their identity for their own adoption journey. In this podcast, you will hear a variety of views from adult adoptees about their own experience of adoption and how adoption has impacted them and what lessons they have learned along the way. Please note that the guests have been courageous in sharing their stories and some of the content and subject matters can be emotionally challenging and distressing for some individuals. Please use your own judgment whether to continue to listen or not and do look after yourself. And if you are affected by some of the issues discussed, please seek appropriate support and help. In this episode, I am in conversation with Isaac Ether, who is the founder of Identity, a startup focused on using technology to help adoptive parents and foster parents to thrive. We discussed how we navigated growing up in a transracial family and the emotion and struggle he faced. Isaac shared his journey into working in the, in the adoption space and his relationship with his adoptive parents. He also talked about his docuseries called Discovering My Identity and his healing journey. And finally, we also discussed his learning from having a child as an adoptee. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Black Adoptees Identities. I have Isaac Etta with us today. I'm really excited to, to have this conversation with Isaac. Isaac Eta is an adoptee and social entrepreneur. Isaac was transracially adopted at the age of two. He's the founder of Identity, a startup focused on using technology to help adoptive and foster parents thrive. At Identity, Isaac is working on reimagining post-placement support for adoptive and foster families. Isaac uses his story and deep passion for adoption and foster care education to bring relevant quality and diverse resources for adoptive and foster parents. Isaac has used his story of being adopted and growing up in a white world to curate deep conversations about race and adoption in America. With his unique insight, Isaac has been able to curate impactful discussions about race in America where everyone learn to value each other and their experience while learning together. Isaac believes these conversations are crucial for child welfare professionals and adoptive and foster parents. Isaac, welcome. Thank you so much for joining yeah. me today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm excited to have you here. So yeah. let's let's begin on your journey of adoption. So when did you all yeah. start it? And and the, your bio said you were adopted that too, but can you give us a bit yeah. more of the background? Absolutely. Yeah, so I was living with my uh, birth mother up until the age of two. So I had two years living with her. And then I was placed for adoption. You know, financial housing situations led to being placed for adoption. And so 
I was placed for adoption at two and very shortly was adopted. Uh, I was adopted within the same year, um, so fairly quick adoption, um, but I was adopted transracially. So I was adopted by two white parents who, you know, it, you know, it was the early, I think it was 2000, so it was 2000, you know, when, when I was adopted. And so not much education about transracial or interracial adoption happening. And so I just didn't grow up having any conversations about race, any recognition of being a Black person. But then also, I didn't grow up seeing any other people of color. So I didn't grow up seeing any other Black people. So it wasn't just that it wasn't discussed or, you know, me being different, uh, noticed at all. But it was also that I didn't grow up around anybody else that looked like me. So whenever it was pointed out that I was Black... It was always in a very isolating way. You know what I mean? Very stereotypical, whether it's, you know, jumping high or basketball or just, you know, very stereotypical. Whenever it was brought up that I was Black, it was never in a way that was, you know, necessarily very positive. Whether it, may be ne- very, very, it wasn't necessarily meant to be negative, but it definitely wasn't necessarily always positive. It was always based in stereotypes around Black people because there were no Black people around except for those of us that were adopted. And there were about two other uh, kids that were adopted in Black. Yeah, I can, I can relate in a way because I grew up in a transracial family and there was no discussion about race at all. And just mm. nobody around me <laughs> who looked like yeah. me in that sense. <laughs> How did you navigate those years where you were in that environment? I think in my case, I very often, I kind of just try to fit in, trying to... Yeah. To conform to everything that was happening in my adoptive family. How did you navigate your own environment at the time? Yeah, I think it was really just like, you know, kind of like an ignorance is bliss kind of situation because I didn't really know anything else. I, you know, I definitely had insecurity, self-consciousness, things like that, which I was trying to navigate, whether through humor or through just trying to ignore the feelings of difference. Um, but, you know, some of the heavier things didn't come up until I was, you know, almost graduating high school. You know what I mean? I just didn't, I, none of the heavy stuff came up until then. So for a majority of my life, I got to pretty steadily kind of get through life. Definitely, again, mountains of insecurity at times, um, struggles, um, definitely moments of anger about being adopted. Um but when I was around 16, you know, it was when more of the race stuff came into play. Um, Black Lives Matter was a bigger conversation. Um, and so the Internet really opened up my eyes to a ton of stuff. And so it kind of became a secret world that I was in, which was kind of like discovering Black culture on the Internet. And, and in this is, I think, where I started to have some of these big, deep questions about race and who I am as a Black person, what my experience, because I'm also a senior at the time, so what is my experience going to be like as I now go out into this world? Now you're doing so much work around adoption, I suppose, so it's it's kind of shifted yeah. completely in the other yeah, direction. <laughs> <laughs> so at, at yeah. what point did you make that shift? Because you're making a living out of uh, the world of adoption so at what point did you make that transition where i realized actually i need to do work around this yeah. that this is something i want to spend my life my passion yeah. to, to adoption <laughs> yeah well one it was it was a giant accident i i definitely i didn't really wake up one day and decide that i wanted to work in adoption i wasn't i didn't have any career intentions towards adoption 
I know early, like, you know, any of my early entrepreneurial ventures were not based around adoption. And so um, it really has been a, a giant accident. In a, in a way. Obviously, the universe works how the universe works. But I, I kind of jokingly say this has been one giant accident. And so, I mean, it, it's, but obviously the, the buildup to it, to kind of take it back a little bit, the buildup to doing this work has obviously been spending time in Black communities. So, you know, when I, I was in college for about a year and a half before I dropped out. And, and when I dropped out, I moved to Atlanta because I wanted to go be around other Black folk. I wanted to go somewhere where I knew I could just be submerged in Black culture. And so spending time there really opened up my eyes about you know, what the real Black experience was, that it wasn't this stereotypical look. And I was also able to find myself in that. So I found a lot of self-confidence and a lot of self-worth in myself as a Black person, as a Black man. And so that became, I think, kind of like the the prequel to doing this work, um, was just that journey, being around the Black people that look like me, being around the Black people that talk like me, dress like me, but came from Black homes. So there isn't this, like, you're only, you know, you're a white black person. No, I'm just like a black person. You know, we all get that. A lot of us transracial adoptees get that. You're a white black person. When, you, when you're when you in somewhere like Atlanta or another diverse area that has black people that come in all shapes and sizes and styles, you find out that you're just a black person. You know what I mean? You're literally just a black person um, who has your interest in like. And so when I came back, when I moved back to Pennsylvania, I started getting into um, nonprofit kind of stuff, and I uh, founded a nonprofit where uh, our idea was to do these social events that um, were on a certain topic, but we partnered with nonprofits to help young people know where to volunteer. And so it was all about kind of raising awareness around different topics, but then also having straight lines on where to volunteer. One of the events we decided to do was on adoption and foster care. It wasn't even necessarily, I mean, it was kind of because I was adopted, but it wasn't even necessarily, like it wasn't thought, I wasn't thinking of it as like this big thing. I was just doing it and it made sense. And I knew like, hey, we didn't have to pay any speakers or do that much because like I could just speak. Um, and I know one or two other people who I grew up with that could probably speak to their experience. And so we did it and I got, you know, two adoption agencies to sponsor it. And afterwards they both asked me to come and speak. And so I was speaking, you know, pretty much monthly, basically for free. It was like a volunteer that, you know, I got like a gift card for it for an adoption agency. And after a couple months, the social worker just kind of pulled me aside. She was like, hey, I don't know what else you're doing, but you should probably just do this. And that really changed my life. I mean, I was I was 19 at the time. I, I didn't have a, I didn't necessarily have a career path that I was set on. I was, I knew I wanted to build stuff. I knew I wanted to be in social justice work. Um, but I never, up until these kind of month after month of me doing this, I never really thought about this as that work. So in 2019, January 2019, I launched uh, a, just a consultant business. Um, and we were just doing transracial adoption consultant, consulting. And that's that's when I fell into this world. I, I just, I got obsessed with, you know, seeing what was out there, seeing what wasn't out there, seeing where the gaps were. And I was speaking. So speaking in the more... I got known as a speaker, the more agencies I got to see the inside of. And not a lot of people get to see kind of like the insides of adoption agencies, have these conversations about what's going on. We all know kind of like some of the general unethical behavior that happens inside adoption agencies. 
But some of what we don't see is is some of the constraints, how money is moved through agencies, um, what makes sense for an adoption agency from a business standpoint versus what doesn't. These are all, I think, sensitive conversations that are hard because a lot of us as adoptees were the product, right? And so they, they become intense conversations. But um, I learned to sit in them. Like I learned to kind of let let some of those feelings go just to learn, just to learn how they were thinking about things, just to see how they were moving. And in that, I got to start thinking a little bit differently about how I approached adoption agencies. And so my goal has always been, how do we have parents that really understand their children? You know, I really, I know that's what I needed. I'm sure you needed that. So many adoptees just, they, they grow up in homes where their parents aren't necessarily bad, right? Like my parents weren't bad, but they just, they totally missed the mark on racial identity. They just, and it, and it wasn't even like it was in their lane of view. It was like way off in left field because nobody even bothered to even just kind of take an ounce of time to maybe say like, maybe you should think about this. And so my goal in, in all my work has always been to just, how do we have parents kind of reorient some of their thinking around this? Um, and when I went to start my company now, Identity, what I had noticed was that there were a lot of people who were um, creators, like online creating content. There were a lot of people who were speaking like I was, and I was speaking pretty regularly. Um, but I always felt like um, webinars and speaking, I always felt like um, they left so much to be had. Like, you know, you come to a webinar that I do and you have a three-year-old, um, I'm sure it will be helpful in a lot of areas. You might learn some things that you might have never thought of, but I wasn't really sure how much of that was translating and staying in their head by the time their child was 10. And that started to really, really bother me. Like the idea that I was doing these talks and sure they were impactful. I'm sure they were actually making a difference in how parents maybe parented, but I, it started to really bother me that, I mean, in a decade, this this could have been like all the advice that I was giving them for their teenagers, they might not even remember in a decade. And so I decided that in identity, what we wanted to do was really reimagine what post-placement support looked like um, and try to create resources and tools and content that parents could look at throughout their parenting journey rather than this this webinar and and I don't want to you know say anything negative about webinars and trainings they're extremely helpful um and agencies that do them are, are doing something really good um parents need that kind of stuff because there's tons of agencies that don't provide any of that so the ones that are doing it are, are doing a service to their families but the problem is and you see this kind of left and right it is just that it, at some point parents are going to move on they're going to be parenting. They're going to be in the mix of daily life. They might not stop for an hour webinar when their kid is 10 and they got three other kids now. And so parenting changes as you, as you get older. Um, that happened with my parent, parents. My parents got older. They had more kids. I have four younger siblings. And it wasn't until they adopted my youngest child and they had to re-go through some training that they got kind of an updated education. And so... Imagine if they wouldn't have even adopted my youngest brother, who knows what other challenges I might have had, other conversations they may have not had with me, because they wouldn't have gone through that training at that time. I was 10 at the time. So they had been 
you know, almost a decade since they've gone through their original training. And so what we created at Identity is stuff that parents can use throughout their parenting journey. Um, it's not a one-time event. Certainly you might read it, you know, you might read it to get licensed, but it has when in in um in the one that I wrote on transracial adoption, it has a step-by-step. So if your child's zero to five, you can read that section right now and then come back when your child's five to twelve because that's a whole different section. And so we try to really create resources that parents can look back on really easily, really accessible. Um, and we try to specialize in having multiple modes. So if you watch my docu-series, that's one way to consume a lot of the same information. If you have the guide, that's one handheld way. Um, and then we're doing podcasts as well. Um, and then we have our online community for families where they can keep up with our resources, get stuff for free, get all, all of our extra stuff. We have a bunch of webinars on there. And so we try to have a little bit more of a diverse pool because everybody learns differently also. But just really rethinking how we think about supporting families throughout the journey is what I spend all my time on now. Wow, that's amazing. That's It's so needed because, like you say, yeah. parents are very lost in a way because nobody taught them. The agency is not providing yeah. the support. So most parents, especially in the transracial um, environment, yeah. don't get the support. So how did you, your, your journey of your own parents? Because yeah. it went from being adopted and didn't have any discussion around race to now being fully immersed into the adoption world. <laughs> Have you had those yeah. conversations with your family, with your adopted family since then around what you went through in terms of now having had that support when you grew up and how did they react to your work now? Absolutely. So when I was um, when I was 18-ish, I think, um, and I left for Georgia, um, it was mostly because we were in this tense conversation about race. You know what I mean? My parents couldn't see my perspective. Um, and that was hurtful. And, and it's hurtful, I think, for a lot of adoptees when it feels like your parents can't understand what you're going through. Um, and so part of the reason I went to Georgia, part of the reason I left was to just go kind of create a new life um, because it seemed like nobody was willing to hear what I was going through. And by the time I came back, my parents had done a lot of reading they had talked to a lot of people. They had um, actually spent some time with the mentor that I had. There was like two black professors at the college that I went to. And one of them I spent a lot of time with. He was kind of mentoring me. They ended up connecting while I was gone. And so that mentor spent a lot of time with my parents, just kind of showing them the other perspective, explaining what I was going through in a way that they could understand a little bit more. And that really changed the game. It, it really changed how my parents thought. And then my parents started reading books that they saw that I was reading. And that helped. So like the autobiography of Malcolm X, different race theory books that I were helping me kind of get an idea of what I was going through and what I grew up in. Um, they started reading. So by the time that I moved back, uh, we were able to really rebuild a relationship on a new note. And that doesn't always happen. You know what I mean? That's, I, I've learned over time that that's not a, a super common story that not a lot of parents take that time. And so I'm really grateful for that. And their story really became the, the kind of catalyst to my first work in adoption. I told their story a lot of the time. It's like, if my parents can do it, you can probably do it too, right? And so it's like, you know, you're white, they're white. Everybody can learn. And so <laughs> that that has always been a big blessing. And, and they've also been supportive in, 
in the work now. And, you know, it's it was a tough beginning because everybody's adjusting, figuring it out. But now, like in, in my docuseries, um, my parents are in it. Most of my, actually, I think all my family's in it. Um, so all my family has some connection to the work now, giving their perspective. My sister giving the sibling perspective. My mom and dad giving their perspectives as well. And also the areas in which they wish they would have done differently, which I think we don't hear enough. We don't hear enough adoptive parents talking about their mistakes and what they should have done differently. And so it's nice now to, to have that on the same page, but it definitely wasn't always that way. Um, and it took a lot of work. And I think of them deciding to understand and believe and do some work to understand what my experience was. How many of those docuseries have you got? Um, so the docuseries is just on YouTube. It's a four-part docuseries called Discovering My Identity. And it's four, it's four episodes. Um, it just goes through my personal experience. Um, so it's really my story. Um, you know, it's adoption. It's my struggle with feelings of rejection and abandonment. That's really what I wanted to dive into in that series, because I don't know that we talk about that enough in the transracial space. We spend a lot of time talking about the race component, but us transracial adoptees also have that underlying at least most of us have this underlying struggle with rejection and abandonment that also feeds into our insecurity at times around our race. And so I really wanted to touch how those have really affected me, how struggling with abandonment has really affected me. So the docuseries dives just as much into race as it does into that. And so episode one and two kind of cover that. And then episode three talks about healing. So I talk about a lot of my journey of like really unearthing some of this pain, really connecting with the fact that abandonment and rejection has been defining a lot of my relationships. And a lot of times as adoptees, we don't really recognize that. We don't see how how relinquishment, the, the idea that somebody gave us for adoption impacts how we connect with people pretty much for the rest of our lives. And sometimes it's happening without us realizing it. And we don't realize how hard we're pushing people away. And so just talk about that, just like, here's how, what healing looked like for me, forgiving my birth parents looked like for me, deciding to move in a different direction, how it looked for me. And also that it's a daily journey. And it's not, mm. it's not like a completed journey. It's, it still shows up at times and it's painful at times. And I think that's a real, a real journey for a lot of us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yes. <laughs> I yeah, it's, it's hard. It is. It's um yeah, and you have to be committed to to do the work. That is the yeah. the issue. And I think sometimes you get too much and you dip in and out. Can you share Absolutely. maybe one thing that really helped you into that journey of healing and especially yeah. around abandonment and rejection? What has really helped you to overcome those emotions? I think one of the things was like, like the first one was reading. So just kind of getting a better idea of really how this has been developing. And so some people have written some really interesting books about this. Coming Home to Self is really interesting. It's a little bit of a thick book, but it's, it's really just like, it breaks down a lot of little things. Like, here's how your adoptee may react to this situation. And I'm like, oh man, that was how I reacted. Um, and so that really helped me kind of get a base for the different ways this could be affecting how I attach to people. And then I read uh, You Don't Look Adopted, which is Anne Heffron's book, which is a little bit more of like, an, I think it probably has a little bit more of an edge to it. 
but I also I just found it very relatable. It's it's kind of it's a brutal book at times. I would say um, it's just a very authentic feelings of insecurity. One quote from that book that always sticks out to me is that she said, "The thought of asking for what I needed from my adoptive parent would have been like peeling off my own skin." And I thought, and it's just like she has a lot of quotes like that throughout the book that really hit you hard. Um, and that helped me really, I think, get centered into how deeply it was affecting me. And then from there, I think I just had to choose to recognize it in the moments where it was emerging. So I, I just, I started to kind of get an idea, oh, when people react this way to something I say or do, it starts to make me shut down in this way and then I start to detach. Or if I feel like, you know, somebody's getting more, like, you know, sibling or partner or anything is getting more love than me. I start to feel these senses of rejection and abandonment. I start to detach and pull away. And so I just started to just really try to center in my emotions and say, okay, you might not be able to stop it, but just at least recognize the pattern that's happening. And of course, therapy, but all of those things together just started to help me like just balance out. I just started to, I was able to catch it. I was able to understand what was happening. And even if I couldn't change my mood right then, I just had a better idea of what was going on. And the continuous work, because it's not an overnight thing and it's not finished yet either. Because once you start to become aware, you can slowly start to learn, set up patterns, know, you know, and now I kind of know when maybe I'm getting a little bit more sensitive than I should about things, what really is an attack and what isn't, um, those kinds of things. And so it's just been a gradual process of like becoming aware and seeing the patterns just constantly becoming aware of the patterns. And the more you're aware of a pattern, the more that you can set up ways to not fall into them. And so that's what it's been like for me. It's just constant and visual awareness, um, just staying vigilant and saying, okay, this is not how I want people to have relationship with me. I don't want people to, to feel like I'm not attaching to them. I want people to feel like I care about them. I want to care deeper. I don't want to be such a detached person. And so it's going to take me recognizing these patterns um, to get somewhere. Yeah, I think it's so important, the self-awareness journey. Yeah, um, it's hard. It's, it's hard, but yeah, Very I would hard. say it's yeah. it's really, really important and recognizing. And I think a lot of us adopted for a long time. We didn't have any words to be yeah. attached to against what we are feeling. Oh, so my gosh. Be, <laughs> yeah. Being yeah, able to of course that a word into this emotion is so important. And I think Absolutely. a lot of us wake up suddenly because we've got yeah. words to express those feelings. Absolutely. Yeah. I think um, attachment is something that is going to pop up more and more over the next couple of years, especially in the transracial adoptee community. I've noticed that in the in the white adoptee community, it's talked about a little bit more. But I think because we have the transracial component, we have so many layers yes. of detachment that we tend to find ourselves first trying to figure out who we even are, then get into the attachment stuff. But I, I do see this becoming a bigger and bigger theme. Yeah. Um, as I watch different adoption creators go through this journey and, and recognize that this is also affecting them. And I think attachment is one of the unifying struggles of adoptees. Like just, it's just one of the things that we all struggle with to a degree and how it shows up is obviously different. 
Mm. But it is it is a it is a unifier in our experiences. And obviously that's not a positive unifier, but a struggles with attachment is something that we we share typically across the board. I don't want to make it so black and white like it's everybody, but it, it's it's a very common struggle that I see. And I and I think that's something that as more and more of us adoptees get into the field of psychology, therapy, PhD, studying these things. I think it's something that I hope will be brought to light and, and researched a lot more because I, I mean, just thinking about statistics, like our prison system. So like how many adoptees and foster children make up our prison system in America? Um, I'm not sure how it is overseas, but I mean, it's a substantial amount. I think it's like one in three in the prison mm-hmm. system here have experienced foster care um, or adoption. And so it, it, it it's affecting us in a lot deeper way than we think these struggles with attachment also the divorce rate i this is gonna i always think this sounds religious it's not a religious statement but also those who have um children outside of marriage i don't mean that in a religious way i, I don't think there's anything wrong with having kids outside of marriage but there is also a statistic to where a lot of adoptees end up in that in that position so i think that's just an interesting statistic to think about that if a lot of us who are conceived that way are conceived in states of poverty, states of instability. A lot of us are having children the exact same way, which is an interesting, like, roundabout. Mm-hmm. So there's also a lot of kids in our foster care system and adopted from parents who have been in our foster care system or adopted. Um, that's why we see a lot of birth mother stories where the birth mother is also an adoptee. Mm-hmm. And so these statistics all play together. And I think a lot of them have a, a root of attachment. And I'm not sure mm-hmm. about that because I'm not a psychologist or a clinician of any kind. But I think attachment is is it's a tie in here. And um, we would do ourselves a favor, I think, by diving deeper into it as a community. I totally agree. I mean, it's also part of the intergenerational trauma that you're passing. Absolutely. I mean, I learned this Absolutely. myself because I, yeah. I've got a daughter and... You know, I part of the reason I went for my own journey of healing is because I recognize a lot of the trauma I had in my daughter. I could see that I've transmitted everything that I was going through without being aware of you know, it's small things like shame and guilt that I've transmitted, yeah. <laughs> transmitted straight down to Same. my daughter. And then she had yeah. to do that work herself. Because she thought that was her own journey, but it wasn't, it was straight from my own journey. So I had yeah. to heal myself for that before I can support my daughter yeah. to, to go through that as well. So attachment does come up in many, many areas of yeah. our life. And so many I mean, for me, it's, it came up for codependency in my relationship for a long time. <clears throat> and also I, I was doing a lot of, I mean, you talk about attachment, but there's also the detachment. So I, I used to be, yeah. completely detached from my own self so that is also yeah. the big area because yeah the completely opposite part. <laughs> we, we kind of because we've been abandoned once we then abandon yeah. ourselves by detaching ourselves from our own self so it's it is it's just deep <laughs> a lot of issues absolutely and and that's why it's a quite a long journey a long life journey that you have to do because you've yeah. got so much to unpack and it's like you say, it's not one one thing at a time and it's healed. It's like the exactly. layers is so many. <laughs> so many it, layers. If taking one layer, there's another with another many more layers is left to appeal. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it is um a journey. 
Yeah. Uh, and I, I think want... bringing up kids. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Just... Yeah. Because you have I was young kids bring... as well. So I was yeah. going to ask you actually about that. Um, how is <laughs> having your own child, how is that manifesting? Because also it's for you, I suppose it's uh, yeah. the first person that look like you in your family. Yeah. So how that? How did the, that's what's the emotions around that when you had your child? No, I agree. And I think children bring out a secondary layer. And so like, yeah, you were talking about your child. I related to that because definitely my child spurred a lot of my healing. Um, and I think that's not an uncommon experience. There's a cool podcast called Labor of Love, um, which is all about adoptees who have kids and their experience parenting. And so you might like that one. But for me, yeah, it's interesting because my child is very pale skinned. So he has my face, but he doesn't have my skin tone. So it's like an interesting roundabout that I have of of life. But I think that in and of itself has been its own kind of lesson uh, and learning. Having a child, I think, changed, I think, how I looked at myself because you stop living so isolated. You know what I mean? When you're an individual, a single individual out in the world, even like working on stuff like I was working on stuff, it's a very, it's a very isolated, like, it's just, you're making yourself better. You're doing this thing out into the world. It's, it's very in, inner focused. Having a child made it me think about it like a little bit more broadly. You know what I mean? The impact that this would have on my kid and what did I want my son to think about me? Who did I want him to see me being in the world? And so you think about attachment in a different way too. So it kind of goes back to attachment. It's like, did I want my child to learn attachment from me um, when I wasn't a very attached person, when I was, you know, unable to build solid connections, healthy relationships, deep connections? If I was unable to do these things, I certainly couldn't teach them to another individual. And so I think that's one of the big challenges that came up from having a child is that um, I had to confront my own inabilities to connect my fear of attachment was now becoming like a hindrance to me being somebody who could show my child that he can have healthy and whole relationships. And so I think that's kind of like the first part of it. It's just like, it's just, that's where I'm at right now. It's just like my child's still pretty young. And so I'm learning he's three now. And so I, I'm continually trying to get better at it and show him what a healthy relationship we're getting deeper and closer with my parents and my siblings and really working my best to to be uh, somebody who cherishes those. Because I think internally we all do. Like, I think all adoptees would say like, hey, we, we, we want those relationships. It's the fear that comes from already having relinquishment that sometimes stops us. And so I even find myself in moments trying to stop myself from getting closer with people when that isn't the answer. The answer isn't, isn't the detachment. It's, it is the attachment. And uh, it's scary and confusing and unfortunate at times, you know, unfortunate kind of quotations because we have to go into the places that we don't want to go to, but it is the way. And I think if anything, children maybe expedite our process through this. Cause I probably would have learned this at some point, but I definitely feel like it was expedited by having a child. We at right at the beginning, we found out that you are adopted at the age of two and you lived with your mom until then. So no. Do you still have connection with your birth family? Yeah, absolutely. So just my my birth mother's side, nothing really on my birth father's side. Um, but yeah, I, I you know, we have Facebook connection. We haven't met in person since I was like three. 
but I've been, you know, holidays, birthdays, regular communication, which is nice. I'm hoping to spend a lot of time, you know, with them this year and make more of an effort to do that. And that's part of learning attachment and reconnection and things like that. But yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see kind of like in a year of hopefully having those meetups and time together. I'm interested to see what my reflections on attachment will be then. But yeah, that's a big part of this year, this upcoming year for me, the 2024 year for me is is about rekindling some of those relationships and and seeing what it looks like now as uh, you know, a mid 20s, you know, person to re reignite those relationships. It's been over 20 years since um since I've had a relationship with my birth mother like in person. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah and that's that's one of the big journey. Um and lots yeah, of um, absolutely. lots of conversation, I suppose, that you must have questions that you're still asking. Or, I don't <laughs> know if you've already had this conversation with your mother over, yeah. <laughs> over the years. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. It, yeah, it's gonna be uh interesting and complicated and uh I'm sure I'll have a lot of interesting reflections on it after it happens. Yeah, you'd have to come back and share with us. <laughs> I know, yeah. I'll have to do a year a year recap. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So I always ask at the end of my podcast to all my guests, if you had to give a, an advice, I mean, if they're young, so come back to me. Yeah. <laughs> <If they're> yeah. <laughs> and I ask people if you had an advice to give to your younger self or yeah. to a young adoptee. What would that be? Ah, oh, young adoptee, man. Uh, I guess it's kind of corny, but I, I think the the advice that I would have for a young adoptee is just to keep going. And it's very simple and, you know, maybe a little bit cliche, but young adoptees, I think, are, are struggling with many more things than people realize. Like teenage adoptees are struggling with a mountain of questions a mountain of insecurity, a mountain of confusion. And teenage adoptees need a lot more grace than people will probably ever give to them. And, you know, they need to just keep going. And and um, I obviously you want healing and all those things to happen, but realistically, how long did it take us to get to that point, right? And so realistically young adoptees are not necessarily going through these massive healing experiences because there's so much to life to learn still um there's so much they haven't even figured out yet about how deep their attachment issues might go and so i think the best thing for young adoptees is to learn to listen and to keep going down the process to learn to not run from the feelings right to just keep going obviously if they're in therapy that's fantastic if they can get in community with other adoptees, that's fantastic. Um, but more than anything, they need to continue the journey um, and, and continue to just be aware of their feelings. And that's, a, I mean, that's an uphill in and of itself. Think about how long it may have taken either of us to just sit in the feelings that we were having pretty much every day. That's just a tall task in and of itself. And so that's what I wish for young adoptees is that if they're young and they're just starting to get on this that they just stay on it they don't try to hide from it because i hid from it you know what i mean i went out and tried to just run from all these feelings of abandonment and rejection but if you can just stay on the path just keep following the process i think you'll find what you need to find in the time that you need to find it 
Absolutely. And you need to give yourself more grace because you still you did the journey in your 20s. I waited <laughs> until I was in my 30s to do this journey. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my point. That's the you know, it takes it, it everybody's different. Yeah, and so it's like on their own path. But yes, yeah. for some of us it took much longer, but yeah. And that's why yeah. I don't want to put that, you know extreme pressure on young adoptees right because mm-hmm. it, it's it's i mean i don't know how your experience was but just mine just the mount like the I use mountain a lot but like i feel like the just i feel like mountain of realizations that i had about myself when i was undergoing it the the little detachments that i'd make the patterns of me having to abandon people like the whole thing, it just started to really reveal itself. And that's a lot of really heavy stuff. Yeah, I, I wish nothing but grace and, and peace and healing, obviously. But, I, I, you know, I, I want young adoptees to have that best transition they can. Obviously, to have it even earlier than either of us. But, yeah, I mean, I I, I think about young adoptees, I think, with a lot of grace and love and and, and knowing who I was five years ago there's no young adoptee that I could see doing the same things that I was doing three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, and not have grace first. And so adoptees need that. Yeah. And I think that is the hope really that adoptees, any adoptees get the support they need from the day they get adopted to up to adulthood because those emotions, I think when I work with some adoption agencies sometime, they say, oh, the child has adjusted very well into the family. And I'm like, yes, maybe now, but we don't know what's going to happen when they come to their teenage exactly. Things can change so they need that support throughout their life Absolutely. at a different time of their life. So I hope, Absolutely. I hope that at some point adoption agency can wake up and realize that this support is ongoing, not just at one point in, in that journey. Absolutely. And that's why we exist. And that's what we're going to, we're going to get it out there. We're going to make sure parents have those tools. Um, We're going to hopefully have adoptees living better lives. Absolutely. And thank you so much for the work you do in that space, because it's making a lot of difference. Uh, And thank you so much for sharing your journey with me today. Absolutely. And honor to to hear your story. So yeah, come back to share the next phase of your journey (laughs) (laughs) i will yes thank you so much Uh, just before you go can you the audience know where they can follow you or find your work absolutely uh instagram is just going to be isaac i-s-a-a-c underscore etter e-t-t-e-r um you can go to isaacetter.com or you can go to identitylearning.co Amazing. Well, thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> and uh, keep in touch and speak soon. Absolutely. This is Christelle Pellecoeur, and you have been listening to Black Adoptees Identities, where Black adult adoptees share their stories. Please do share and subscribe to our podcast and do stay connected with us by following us on Instagram at Black Adoptees Identities. Thank you for listening to this week's episode and until next time, goodbye.